Relationships are one of the most gratifying, helpful, happy places that we can be when relationships working right. But also, it can bring us the most pain, the most disappointment, the most hurt. Wouldn't you agree? Relationships are complicated. We've been uh, looking at a series recently called You Asked, and it's a series that people from the congregation have sent in a, a question and asked a, a various different questions. And when the questions came to us as a preaching team, the, the questions came round, and I looked and I said uh, to Steve, oh, I quite like that one about sex. I think, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in doing that one. And then, lo and behold, I found myself, my name on a card saying, let's talk about sex. I was like, okay, I'm going for that one then. Let's talk about sex. Because I really believe that the church needs to talk about sex. I think it needs to be part of our teaching series at least once a year. Because it's all around us. There's a, there's the, in society and culture today, there's everything about relationships. Everything's very overt in today's culture. And yet, historically, the church has been quite quiet on the subject of relationship and sex. So today, we're going to tackle this topic. The question that was sent in was, should I sleep with my boyfriend as an unmarried woman? Now today, I'm going to say to you that I haven't got all the answers, but I have got lots of experience on helping people, of course, about the relationships and topics in relationships. This topic, uh, this question here is a, is a big question. But I want to uh, ask a question back. You may well be in the room. I don't know who sent this question in. You may be in the room right now. You may have been here earlier. But I know that there will be people in this room, even if you're not here, that this question could be something that would be on your mind or could be for your family or for your children or for your friends. That's an answer, a question that you would want some answers to, to have some clarity of what the Bible says about this topic. So I'm going to start by asking a question back and asking the sense of, do you want to be married? This person who's put this question in, do you want to be married one day? And if their, question, their answer is yes, then I have another question. Is the person you are becoming, the person you want to marry, is looking for? Are you becoming the person that you want to marry is looking for? You see, let's face it, many single people do want to be married. And I think it's also safe to assume that many Christians would like to be married to another Christian and like to be in a Christian marriage. I think that's pretty safe to assume. But I know this topic that I've embarked on is huge. I've done lots of research, I've done lots of reading these last few weeks, and I know that I'm opening up a huge topic here. So I need to bring a little bit of a clarification, a little bit of um, ground rules for what I'm talking about today. Because for today, for this talk that I'm doing, 
there are some definitions. And when I'm talking about marriage, I'm talking about this. It is a voluntary union for life of one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others. I also want to define when I talk about a Christian marriage, it is a Christian man married to a Christian woman. So there's my ground rules. But we have a dilemma. Today's society, we statistics tell us that actually there are 50% less men in churches today than there are women. 50% less men. So there's not so many men around for women to marry. We also are at the lowest rate of marriage, marriages in society, in society today since 1862. So there's a low rate of marriage. It also would appear, this is what we're up against, is that the younger generations generally don't like commitment and they're being less committed generally in life. Some of them are still working out that maybe their own parents' if marriage issues and that's affected them and so they feel reticent to get married themselves. Or maybe they've already been married and they've been divorced and so therefore they're in a state where they don't want to be remarried and they've been hurt in the past. So the rate of marriage has actually decreased. Having said that, many single Christians do still want to get married and do still want to get married to a Christian. From a sociological point of view, the Evangelical Alliance has done some research. And they've said that 90% of couples that they interviewed, they expressed they were happy with their marriage, Christian marriage, two Christians married together. 90% said they found that they were happy in that relationship. While only 66% of those in a mixed marriage, i.e. one of the spouses was not a Christian, have found happiness in that relationship. For myself, personally, I was brought up in a household with one Christian and one non-Christian. My mum was a Christian, married my dad as a non-Christian and thought after a few months there would, there'd be a change and he'd see that Christianity and following God's ways was the best thing for him. 42 years, 52 years later, he never changed his mind on that. But you know, I grew up in a household that actually, it brought a lot of tension in the household. Brought a lot of tension because there was a different worldviews. It brought actually a, free, a, a less freedom of expression of our faith. We weren't allowed to talk about our faith. We weren't allowed to pray. We weren't allowed to discuss anything around the dinner table because it was just not allowed. It was just the taboo subject. It was a struggle to be a Christian in that household. Having said that, I believe that part of my desire to see people become Christians, part of my desire of a hunger to actually see people get faith in Jesus, I think that was birthed out of seeing up front my father's own struggles and to see the struggles that I had on a daily basis. So I God has used that situation. But you know, whether it's a Christian marriage or whether it's a, a, a Christian marriage or not, the evidence has been shown that marriage is good. That marriage is good for families and marriages are good for society. 
marriage is a good thing. Parents who live together but are not married make up 20% of all couples with dependent children. Yet 50% of all family breakdown comes from cohabiting couples. The figures underline the fact that marriage tends to make a better chance for family stability. And stability is actually what children really need. In order for them to grow, in order for them to feel secure, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in all areas, stability for them is really, really important. And that can be really affected, massively affected, by their parents' relationship. But marriage is a good thing. I say it again. Marriage is a good thing. And we believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is a good thing. It describes marriage in this way, and this is you've got it in your notes. The verse is from Genesis 2. It says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's got to be the most intimate place that you could ever be. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. You know, if that could be a goal within a relationship, to feel no sense of shame when you're together, then that would be a good goal to go for. To me, it speaks of true intimacy, true vulnerability, true knowing of one, one another. If you want to be in a relationship where you can have no shame, then your actions today will help you or hinder you to get to that place. Because there's principles in God's word that can help you to get to that place. What you do today will in the future will be your past. And your past always affects your future. What you do today, one day, it'll be your past. But actually, your past always affects your future. Your actions today are important. Proverbs 14, it says, the wisdom of the prudent. I like that word prudent. I looked up the word prudent. What does prudent mean? It means taking care for the future. So the wisdom, the prudent, the ones who are actually concerned for the future is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. You deceive yourself if you think you can just do whatever you like and the future will be positive. The wisdom of the prudent, those who take care of the future, is to give thought to their ways. You know, wise people know that what you do today, the ways that you have, the steps, the behaviors, the patterns, the habits that you make are important. You know, you get to know somebody's ways when you live with them close up. You know what their ways are, but your own ways are the ones that you can have most impact on and most effect on. The past few days, you know, we've uh, been traveling the past few days and we've been off to Ireland, and we, uh, we had a bit of a theme going on while we were away. We went to a place called Porta Doris. 
And uh, Porto Doris was a nice little place, and there's a little sandy cove if you ever get to, to go with that area in, in Donegal. It's actually somewhere that only the locals know about. The uh, people around don't really, it's not on a map anywhere to go. And it's a really secret little cove that you go to, and it's very beautiful, Porto Doris. Then we went to a waterfall that wasn't far away from there, and that was called Doris as well. So I was like, oh, there's a bit of theme going on right now. And uh, my middle name, actually, yeah. It's confession, is Doris. As we, were dri- as we were driving, as we were flying back from Northern Ireland, it's after my nan, by the way, I hated it. I hid it all my life. I'm, not, I'm free, I can tell you now. When we flew back in the aeroplane, it was a little bit rocky. We came home on Thursday morning, just before storm Doris hit. And it was a little bit bumpy, but we, we arrived safely. I felt a little bit like I'd been to Elton Towers via Ireland, you know, because it was a little bit rocky, but we made it safely. Well, that evening, Thursday evening, it seemed to be, you know, the storm had, grow, had blown up and uh, we were together with Josh and uh, Katie and uh, Steve and I, and we had a meal together. We'd been away on holiday together and we decided that actually we didn't want the holiday to end and we'd have a meal together in the evening and we'd watch a film. So I thought, what should we watch? Now, Steve and I have discovered Netflix. Are you impressed? Are you impressed? Talk about getting down with the culture, hey? I even do Snapchat, I'll have you know. If you want to be my friend, I'll Snapchat you. That's only because our daughter's gone off to Australia and that's her form of communication. So every morning I get a Snapchat and see what she's been up to. It's great. So that, we decided what film should we watch? We had a look on Netflix, had a look what was available. And there was a film called... Doris. So we thought, it's within the theme, let's watch the film called Doris. Now my point, there is a point to this story, okay? I am coming back to the story. My point is that actually when your actions and you're wanting to actually form your actions, and particularly in relationships, it's not at the heat of the moment that you can actually make those decisions. You have to make your decisions of your ways before you get into the situation. Now, this film about Doris was about a 60-year-old woman who actually was falling in love and falling for a new colleague that had come to the workplace. He was a 20-something young man. And this film, she went into the coffee bar area and asked him for a coffee. And then you saw on the screen that she accidentally poured the coffee all over him. And she was kind of helping to dab all the coffee. And he took his shirt off and she was kind of like wiping his chest and falling into his arms and waiting for the kiss, you know, with great kind of anticipation. And then the film went and the guy said, Doris, are you okay? And it was all in her imagination, but that she was actually hoping that this guy would fall for her and that she could get this lingering kiss. But you know, at that moment is not the time to make your convictions, to make your plans. You have to act out those convictions before you're in the situation. You have to prepare your mind and your heart for before you're in a situation where your hormones aren't taking over. Because when you start to fall for somebody, you start to fall in love, that's when the hormones all go fuzzy and you do crazy, crazy things. Oh, he parked his car next to me. It must be a sign I'm falling in love. He's got the same puppy dog as I've got. Oh, it must be meant. It's the one. It doesn't work like that. Those hormones can make us all a little bit crazy. You need to have convictions. You need to prepare your convictions ahead of time before you're in the situation because our hormones can make us dizzy. Saying no 
to sex before marriage is a conviction. If that's a conviction for you that this is God's best for a long-term relationship, then you need to make those convictions ahead of time. I'm really pleased that we have, for our young people, we have teaching that is clear, that before you're in relationship, before you actually enter those relationships, to be clear what you believe and what you think, even if it isn't popular with the culture around you, even if it isn't popular to believe that, to stand strong for your convictions. You see, the verses say, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You see, the verses say to us, you are united. The word there refers to a term used for the word glue. There is a permanence. It's not just a physical relationship. It's not just sex. It never is just sex. When a man and woman comes together, they are united together. Sex is the most intimate, personal, and life-defining act possible. But if you're a person that has many different partners and many different people, you can damage your intimacy factor. You can damage that sense of feeling together with somebody with no shame, feeling that somebody knows you intimately, knowing you not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually in your soul as well. You can damage that intimacy factor. Not only can you be less known, but also you are not prepared to know the other person either. You might become numb to feelings of intimacy, of real intimacy, that can take a long time to repair. It says that the two become one flesh. That's so much more than a physical act. There's a connection to the soul that is deeper than any other connection. That connection isn't found in a day. It isn't found in a few months, is developed over time as each person feels safe to reveal more of who they are and that they can be known in a fuller way without any sense of shame. It can take years of a marriage for people to fully feel relaxed, comfortable, known and safe with that other person. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 6 says, honor God with your bodies since you are redeemed with a price. Ask yourself, how best does a single person, or a married person, or a divorced person, do I honor you, God? How do I honor you with my body? You know, the direction of where your life is today can pretty much predict where you'll head up in the future. What you're doing today will affect your future unless you make a U-turn. If you're walking in this direction, and this is the way that you do life, but you may be prepared to make a U-turn, a 180-degree turn, and change that direction. That's the definition of repentance. You know, and in Christ, in Jesus, he washes all that shame away, all those sins away. He redeems and he restores and he can make all things new. But it does take on our behalf and abandoning ourselves to God and saying, I don't wanna do it my way anymore. I wanna do it your way. I wanna walk in your ways. I'm prepared to do what you have best for me. And my, God has the best intentions in heart for us. 
You know, today we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to understand that God has something for you that is really good, something that is really special that God has for us. But, you know, there might be a sense of having to do a U-turn on the way of the things that we live. Because, you know, all across the country, and you can see this, Maybe it's every day of the week now, but particularly on a Saturday, people will get dressed up and they'll put big dresses on and smart suits on and they'll get lots of food and lots of family and lots of celebration. And there'll be a wedding. And at that wedding, the couple will come together and and they'll say, will you take, will you promise to love this person forevermore? And the response is, I will. I will. But you know, not every person will make that commitment, will actually follow through that promise of, I will. And won't we actually be able to make that promise saying, I will. You know, marriage can be really tough. Marriage can be really difficult. And promises are no substitution for preparation. If you want to build a long-term marriage, just saying, I will, doesn't mean to say you will, will, you will. It doesn't make you capable, it just makes you accountable. Promises, you mean them, but you might not be able to pull them off unless you've prepared in advance. When you're single, you're more motivated than ever to prepare than when you're in a bad marriage. When you're actually on your own and single, you can prepare more effectively. But you know, your past is a better indicator than just a promise on a Saturday. What does your past track record look like? And don't be crazy. Make sure you check out your spouse's track record as well because their past will actually show you a lot more than just that promise on the day. Commit to being a person who can commit. Don't just commit to the person. Don't just commit to being married. Just don't commit just to a relationship, but commit to being a person who can actually commit. Do the things that you say that you're going to do. Follow through. Be the person that actually can keep their commitments. Practice that. Prepare for that. So that when you say, I will, it really means I will. I'm going to look at some things practically in a little while, how you could prepare for marriage but first of all, what about if you're in a, marriage, in a relationship already? What happens if you're already in a, a living re- relationship, a physical relationship with somebody? You know, the Bible is so practical. And Paul, in his letters, is so practical as well. He wasn't married, or maybe he was widowed. It's unclear. Maybe he was married at one point, and then he was widowed. But he actually says, it's better if you say single. Single is good, okay? Single is good. There's nothing wrong with being single. If you're happy in your state of being single, then stay single. But what Paul also said is he knew that not everybody would want to stay single or could stay single. He knew that sex was powerful, that sex isn't wrong, it isn't bad, it isn't dirty, but it is powerful. And his advice was given in 1 Corinthians 7 where it, where it says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 
burn with passion. That reminds me of a fire burning with passion. And you know, if you have a fire, it has to be contained in some way. It has to have some boundaries. Otherwise, it does a whole lot of damage. Josh and Katie have a wood-burning stove in their house. And we stoke the fire and put logs on to actually build the fire. But that fire is contained and it's safe and everybody benefits from it. Can you imagine if they just got the logs and the kindling and put it in the middle of the lounge floor and started to light it? It would overtake the whole place and there would be great destruction. The context for that passion is within marriage. It's the place where least damage is done. In fact, people, two people benefit in a great way when that is actually boundaried of the place where it takes place. What if you're already maybe living with somebody or sleeping with somebody and you're not married? Well, normally, and in most cases, we here, we would advise you to separate. We'd advise you to separate and to get married. You know, that seems like a tall ask. It seems pretty radical. But you know, we've done that time and time again and encouraged people to prepare for marriage by separating. And you know, we have couples in our church who have done that. We have a couple, a young couple, who have prepared to talk about that and prepared to be interviewed about how they did that and why they did that. And we've got a short little clip, little DVD clip that we're going to show you now of Holly and Andrew's story of how they prepared for marriage. How long have you guys known each other then? Tell me a little bit about yourselves. A long time. A very long time. <laughs> so we've been, well, we've known each other for nine and a half years and have been a couple for most of that time. Okay. And we met at university when we both started at Imperial doing our undergrad. And then from that starting conversation, just found so many things we had in common. Both had done the Duke of Edinburgh, both really enjoyed climbing, and other friends were coming back and forth, and they were like, you guys are still chatting. Um, so we were pretty quickly best friends. Yeah, and then it... And then a few months later, later decided to... Start going out. Start going out. So that was when it became more serious, then? Yeah, I think we've had several stages where it's over the that nine, ten years, it's become more serious. Um, I think it's, yeah, we, that first, we're well, yeah, starting to go out as a couple, and then second year, or sec the rest of years, second, third, and fourth year of uni, we were living together with friends. We then, because of jobs, moved apart for a couple of years, um, and then it became more serious. Um, again, when Holly had moved up to Cambridge by that point, and then I followed her up, and we started living together. When did your faith for you guys become more serious and then may kind of affected your relationship in some way? A few people at my workplace were here at C3 and they knew I was a Christian but hadn't been going to church. So they were like, oh, come on, come along. come to." And it sounded like C3 was very much like what my old home church was like. So I was like, oh, I'll try it out. And I began coming for about three months and then invited you to come along to the Christmas service. Yeah. Um, and then at the Christmas service during one of the C3 News, I saw the Alpha course being advertised. Um, 
and my mum, my mum's a Catholic and has been, and she did the Alpha course, and I, so I knew roughly what it was. Um, and then I realised I hadn't really ever questioned what my personal faith was to me. The C three, everyone was very accepting of us, and lots of people knew that we were living together, but nobody said, "Oh no, you can't come to church. You're in that situation." But it was when we were wanting to become members of the church that it was made very clear to us: "We love you guys. We want you to always come to church, but we can't affirm." your current living situation. And it was upsetting to hear at first because we love C3 so much yeah. and saw it very quickly as a church that we were at home with. But it was good to hear that very clearly to then go, okay, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't under God's law. This isn't where we should be. We found somewhere we feel at home at. It's now that we make changes to our lifestyle. When we were told that we couldn't live, well, shouldn't live together, that was a week before I proposed. So it was a really painful week for me because I was like, I know this isn't forever and it's just a short term kind of, um, but the right decision, but it was, that was quite painful. Um, but yeah, this, the whole living together was throughout our engagement of, what was it? 13 months or so, I'm trying to remember. How long we weren't living together? Oh, was it nine months? It was nine, nine months. months. Um, so yeah, we were at the same time planning the wedding and so having that kind of chat as well, just looking, it was very forward looking and preparing for marriage. Mm. Um, but I think it's something you've said is that a lot of our early relationship, we didn't make strong decisions, we slided into things. I think this was something of one of Jen's messages a long time ago and actually you need to you can just slide through life and then just things keep happening, move in together. But actually we didn't make firm decisions about what we wanted for a f future. And all of this is not to say that it was an easy decision because we had before that had eight years where we pretty much constantly lived together. And it was kind of tackling that in my brain as well because it generally worked for, well for us, it seemed yeah. like something that went smoothly, but it's, it's the knowledge that it's, it's not right, it's not what God commands, and that now that we're married, we really enjoy living together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How brave is that? You know, we don't want something from you. We really, really want something for you. We want the best for you. And we really believe that marriage is the best context for an intimate relationship. We're going to look now at some things that we can look at of how we can prepare for marriage. I'm going to run through these things. You know, the crazy thing is the Bible is truth, and Bible gives us truth for many generations but actually society and research is now showing us and reinforcing what the Bible has already told us. This first one, it says, what is not good preparation for marriage? The blanks there is cohabiting. Cohabiting. There's no evidence that living together before you're married is actually a good preparation for being together in the long term. In fact, those that cohabit before they marry are more likely to break up, especially if you cohabit and slide into the situation 
with no engagement and no sense of commitment. The, the breakdown is a lot higher percentage. What about if you're sleeping together but not living together? Is that okay? Does that you know, make you kind of like it doesn't apply to you? But you know, we would encourage you to separate and to make your relationship public declaration out of marriage to say, this person belongs to me, this person belongs to me. And together, you make that public declaration of a marriage that you are together, rather than hiding the situation. Magic, uh, marriage is a public commitment that others can support and encourage you in. And I'd even go as far to say is, don't act married before you are married. Don't do the things that married couples can do before you're married. Don't try and cheat. I even think that going on holiday together and sharing a room together is far too much temptation for singles to do. I would never have been able to cope with that myself, so I don't know how you can cope with it. I'd go as far to say is don't act married before you are married. Decide rather than slide into a situation Make the commitment and prepare for that I will, really meaning I will. The second thing which is not good preparation for marriage is watching porn. Watching porn makes you selfish. Watching porn is like having sex without a relationship. Porn degrades women. It makes people feel that they Often their wives aren't good enough if it's the guys watching. It often can feel that intimacy factor is weakened because it's many partners, many different people. And it puts a false expectation on the marriage relationship. Research has also said, and the Bible says, let's go to the Bible, the Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's what the Word of God says. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you do with your eyes. Research also says that actually porn is becoming the most destructive thing in society, particularly for young people, for particularly for those that have watched a lot of porn that they don't know how to relate to people. They don't know how to relate to the opposite sex. And there's a lot of pressure on teenagers these days. And a lot of guys, I read recently, that guys were, want to have sex straight away before they've got any meaningful relationship, before they even kiss, before they even date, that they've seen so much of it, and that's where they've learned what to do. Watching porn is not good preparation for marriage. And I'd say to teenagers, you know, we always have stood out as Christians against the culture. We've always had to stand tall. Every generation has had to stand out and stand tall. And I just say, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no to the pressure that is around you. And it's okay to stand out from the crowd. What is good for preparation for marriage is dealing with past issues. I like this quote from Stephen Furtick. Great things, uh, marriage is not solved, designed to solve any problems. Great things get better and the bad things get worse. Deal with your past. You know, if you have things from your past that you haven't dealt with, then you carry them into the marriage and your spouse has to carry them 
with you and for you. There might be conflict or there might be anger, there might be things that come out and you think that was an overreaction and it could be something from the past that, not, that hasn't been dealt with. Maybe they're reacting towards you as they would have reacted to their mother or their father and they haven't actually dealt with unforgiveness and issues in their heart and mind. Deal with the past because what you take into the relationship will probably get worse it goes into the relationship. If there's a drinking problem with either spouse, and if you take it into marriage, it's probably going to get worse and deepened. If there's a shopping addiction, then it's probably going to get worse as you bring it into the marriage. Deal with as much stuff as you can before you enter into that marriage relationship. Getting out of debt is good preparation for marriage. It's so much easier to sort out your finances when there's just one of you to have to deal with finances rather than two. Getting out of debt is so much easier. Enough said about that. Having self-control is good preparation for marriage. Self-control now trains you for self-control later. You know, temptation doesn't go away just because you get married. It doesn't mean to say you'll never be tempted. It doesn't mean that opportunity won't come your way. But if you've learned to have self-control, then you can take self-control into your marriage relationship. There will be times maybe through illness and through other things that the sexual relationship won't be there for you. But you know, self-control in preparation before marriage will mean that you can deal with that and you can cope with that. And a sixth one I've put in here, put time into your relationship. If you're single, go on dates. I encourage you to go on dates, get to know people. We really want this church to be a place where people can go on dates without feeling that they're being watched. Just have dates and coffee dates and get to know people before you start to go out. And get to know each other really, really well. Get to know what your hopes and dreams are. Get to know what your goals are. And then don't stop doing that when you get married. Research says that married couples that actually go out on dates actually have a stronger relationship and a long-term relationship, at least once a month, to go on a date. And when you get home, you've got something to go to your husband or your wife and say, no, they said, I've got to have a date. Have you booked anything yet? You know, where are we going? Which meal are we going for? Put some time in your diary so together you've got some time together. Ask yourself, what are your relationship goals? What is it that you're aiming for? What do you want to have in your relationship? What are your goals for each other? Are you becoming the person that the person you want to marry is looking for? Because as you're becoming, you can reach some of those goals that you may have set for yourselves. Steve and I have been married almost 31 years now. And for our 30th wedding anniversary, we got a little gift of 30 lessons you've taught us about marriage. And this is one of the really nice gifts that we got given. We've been married a long time and we're not saying that we're perfect. We're not saying that we've got everything right. We're not saying that it has been easy. Have there been times when we've annoyed each other? Yes. Have there been times when we've stopped speaking to each other? Yes. Are there been times when we've loved each other but not liked each other? Yes. But we've worked through lots of those things. 
and lots of those things. And there's lots of people in this room who've been married for many years. And there's wisdom in this room of how to do relationships, long-term relationships. And there may be others in the room that need to get support, need to have somebody around them that can help them to get through those bumps and hurdles in married life. You know, some of the things that it says here, uh, number seven, don't be afraid to take leaps of faith with your spouse. Number six, say, I love you lots. Number 10, apologize to your spouse when you mess up. And 11, forgive your spouse for messing up. Number 12, both spouses should have household roles, roles and spend quality time to other, uh, together. And the last one, Sundays must not suffer. That's my husband's favorite phrase, which he's obviously very correct about. But Sundays mustn't suffer no matter what happens in life. Sundays are our priority and always have been to be here with you guys and to help lead you in what we believe God is leading us into as well. You know, in order to do all of this, we need God's grace. If you're single in this place today, you need God's grace. If you're married in this place today, you need God's grace. If you're somewhere in between, then you need God's grace. If you're transitioning out of a marriage, out of singleness, you need God's grace. We need God's grace in order to help our relationships. You know, there might be something from the today that you might think, what now? I want you to think about what is your next step. Maybe for married couples, you need to put some more time into your marriage. Maybe for singles, you need to start thinking about how can I prepare to be the person that the person I want to marry is looking for. Maybe there's things that you need to change. Maybe you need to speak to a pastor or a connect group leader. Maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you and stand with you as you make that decision. We're going to have a prayer team who will be available to talk to you and pray with you if you'd like that today. But also I'd like you to think if there's anything for you guys maybe who are single, if you think there's something that we as a church can do, then write something down on the connect card and give it in to us. There's already ideas been given up. Maybe we should do some sort of meetup for singles across the city, not even just in C3. There's some ideas kind of bubbling away. If you want to be part of that, if you want to have ideas, write something, talk to us, give us some feedback, let us know what's going on. You might feel that you would like to get married, but you don't have any finances. Talk to us. We've helped people before now and given them some finances or supported them as well. The church has gathered around them and helped them to get married. You might feel like you're in a relationship and you would like to separate, but you don't know what you would do and where you would live. We've done that before now. Somebody was preparing to marriage and we knew it was a short term and we put somebody up. Well, we're not saying that we'll take you all in, okay? But there may well be others in this congregation who are prepared to have a room that could say, actually, We'll give you some space and we'll give you some time so that you can prepare for marriage. You know, you may feel today that this has hit a chord for you and maybe you feel you've messed up in some way. Maybe you felt that you haven't quite got it right. But you know, God makes all things new. God restores, heals, and redeems. This is not about condemnation. This is about putting some principles of God's words, God's truth into our hearts of a way that we can live. 
And I want us to stand and we're going to ask the band to come. I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to pray for us today because I really do believe that we need God's grace in all our relationships. Should I sleep with my boyfriend as an unmarried mother, as an unmarried woman? What are your relationship goals? Do you want a long-term relationship? Do you want a long-term relationship? Then put your relationship in the context of marriage. Separate and come together when you can actually form something together that God can honor and bless over you. Let's stand as I pray for us all. Lord, I thank you that you know us all intimately, that you know us all that are here in this room. Father God, I pray for every married couple in this place, Lord, that you will give them grace that they need in order to be the person that you need them to be for their spouse, Lord. I pray for those that have given up any physical relationships, Lord, that you will give them the courage to be intimate again, to enjoy a sexual relationship again. And Lord, I pray for those that are single in this place, Lord. I pray that you'll give them grace, Lord, that you'll give them the, the, the tools that we've heard today to prepare for marriage. And Father, I pray that you'll give us wisdom to know how we can help, how we can support, how we can be ones that can be a community here that can serve and help one another, support one another. And Father, most of all, that we want to give you the glory that we will be your true disciples here on this earth and give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.